you like to get things done quicker, faster, and with less effort? So do I. So I created a Facebook group called Assistance Automation and AI for mental health providers. You can search it in the Facebook search panel. And I created this because I love to talk about this topic. I love talking about assistants and how to hire them and manage them. I love automations that do things for me quicker, faster, better. And then AI is just exploding on the scene. And I feel like I'm talking about all the about it all the time and my friends are talking about it. So why not create a community group where we can discuss these things together, share ideas and get things done quicker. I'd be humbled if you joined the group and started contributing your favorite tips and tricks on assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers. Go to the show notes, find the link for the group or just search up assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers in the Facebook search bar. We'll see you there. Hello, welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hi, James. Welcome back to the show. This week, we're going to talk about delegation and decision-making. We have an interesting framework to review with you, especially when working with virtual assistants and other people, how to get things off your plate and how to keep them off your plate. So I was very excited to talk about that. First, we're going to do our tool tip and tech of the week. David, why don't you go first? So in the past few weeks, I've, I've gotten really on Pinterest. I don't like shopping. And that, so in some ways, I'm like the least ideal user for Pinterest because I don't, I don't like new chores at, at home at least. And I don't like to shop. I don't even like shopping for things I like for the most part. And so that's, but what's got me back into it is I use Trello a lot for business and which I think it was a tip of the week for me once, but it's a Trello is just an organizational system and tool. And I use it for course creation and other work projects. And it, in it, you make lists and, and have different tasks assigned to different lists. And you have a combination of lists on different boards, but Trello is very word driven. It's very much about kind of what's written down. And I find it really great for verbal word driven task, but I started using it for some personal things recently and I found just the visualization worked so much better. So I, I just shifted what I was doing over to, to Pinterest. I've got a, a, a Trello board that's just called David's brain. And it's just for any number of things that don't have a permanent board yet. If they, if they incubate long enough, sometimes they get their own board, but you know, I've got tons of Pinterest boards on like camping equipment to mm -hmm. automobile things that I think are interesting. And, and, and it's less about, it's funny, like for some people, they do that. It gets them really excited on buying and it doesn't for me. I just like getting the ideas and it's a process of elimination. Pinterest is really cool. So, yeah, I found it as like a, a visual shortcut to what the words were saying. Mm. Like it just keep, it's the reminder. And I, I had a board when I was redoing my basement, like, what, what you wanted to look like and colors and what you're going to put down there. I had some fun curated boards of just different artsy stuff that I really, really, I, I enjoyed it. Like now you make, you're giving me the itch to go back and start some boards. It's been a fun thing. And some of it is, you, this is, I don't have a lot of recommendations in this tip of like how it will help you scale your practice necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you can use it for that, I'm sure. But 
for me, it's even just a certain amount of self-care. It helps shift my brain out of, because for the most part, what I'm using it for is stuff not related to work. And mm -hmm. the percentage of my cranial hard drive that's spent thinking about work-related things is a lot. It's a pretty high percentage. And I have to work a lot on getting my brain off of it. And it's mm -hmm. good when I do. Yeah. I, I Great. feel pretty good about that. What's your tip, James? So, so my tip is just it's be, be mission-driven to be your authentic business, I guess. I'm sure there's a better way to say that. But I, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking some teachings on marketing and finding your, you know, finding your dream client. And one of the big, one of the big tips there is to be authentic, like be mission driven, not necessarily profit driven, because mission driven people attract people who are on the same mission and profit driven is more transactional. So I, I wrote a blog about how to assess if you're mission driven or money driven. For example, the 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 main activity of a, a money-driven organization is just the transaction, like the sale process. And the mission-driven, if you're on a mission, your main activity is transformation. You mm -hmm. you measure the transformation, you you celebrate the transformation. In a profit-driven, money-driven organization, you celebrate the sale, the transaction. Nothing wrong with sales or profits. In fact, I, I highly believe. All therapy businesses should be profitable. Thank you, Julie Harris from Green Oak Accounting. But, but it's just a reminder, reminder to me about you know why I am doing this and where do where do I find my authentic self and where do I get the most joy out of doing business? It's when I focus on the mission, like where am I helping people? How am I helping people get to their dream destination? And that that attracts that solves the problem of finding people. Because if they're, if you're going to where they want to go, they're going to find you. Like they're going to, they're going to jump on your bus because of where you're going, not necessarily because you tried to market to them or to sell to them. And I just, I just, it takes the pressure off a little bit to me because, because the big question in selling is like, where am I going to find all these people? How am I going to get people to buy my stuff? And it just turns it turns the helping service into it. It feels icky a little bit sometimes. I'm sure you've seen ads online that make you feel icky, you know, like, oh, they're really like mm -hmm. trying to, you know, bait and switch people. And 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 the the therapists and the helpers I deal with aren't like that. They don't want to sell to people. They want to help people. And so this just being focused on being mission driven just really aligns with my 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 heart, I guess. And I want to share it with other people. And and I think for the most part, we start out mission driven, but then the 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 cares of the world and the profit driven kind of like tear us down and and we we start celebrating the transactions rather than the transformation. So that mm -hmm. that's my tip. I wrote a blog, it'll be in the show notes, but it's it just helps me enjoy work more when I'm mission driven. So that's mm -hmm. that's my tip. Did you have any questions? I mean, that all sounds great. The, uh, I do think it, it's the people listening. It, it could be even thinking about like, what is your mission and how's that, how's that defined and how's that communicated through the organization and a practical thing of I've, I was talking to a supervisee of mine yesterday and she works in a different city. We're in the same state, but I do virtual supervision with her and she is in a different city, works for a different organization. She works for a, a pretty well-established nonprofit organization in her community. 
that has a lot of therapists and serves a lot of people, particularly people that could not afford or access therapy services otherwise. And she was talking about, not in an overly ungracious or gripey sort of way, but some of a frustration because she was very much driven. Like I really, as a therapist, want to get very qualified and skilled within a certain way of doing therapy. And I feel that this organization pushes us to, you know, see as many different sorts of cases or clients and do as many different sorts of therapies. And so they can reduce their wait list of people waiting to get in to see a therapist. And she goes, I really want, I, I wish it was more developmental was basically like, I wish it was a lot more developmental focused on therapists. And I reflected with her saying like, well, but what's their mission? And you can have multiple missions, but I do believe there has to be an order to a hierarchy, like what is subordinate to what. And my thought for where she works, I go, I believe how I understand their mission is they want to provide quality counseling therapy services to populations, groups that otherwise would have a hard time accessing it. That's their mission. And so in service of the mission, you know, they want to keep as short of a wait list as possible. And these other things happen. Now, it, that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt or have issues for you in this, but at least there's clarity and like, but this is what they're doing and why. And I think there's an issue, like you said, like money's one of those things, James, that I, I think of it like it's, it has very practical value in how we're able to sustain our lives. But as a business, it typically is not ever really good as a target by itself. It's, it's mm. very good to have as a, I have, a, I have, of success. I have a, a minor story about that. My, my father was a, or my father-in-law worked for a trucking company and they did something that destroyed a lot of morale in their drivers. They said, our goal this year is big profits, big profits, big profits. And then all the drivers were like, that doesn't help me you know the goal for the company this year is big profits but how does that how does that motivate the 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 worker and i think mm -hmm. they they lost a little bit of you know engagement with their drivers when they made their focus on just the 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 big profits yeah yeah and that's yeah you you got to speak to again what's going to motivate people and even for yourself like the problem with Money is your goal, as your only goal. Like, like money is, I want money to be a, an after effect. In some ways, it's, it's kind mm -hmm. of the points system for certain things that you're doing. And so in that sense, it's, it's relative, it's, it's, or it's relevant, the same way you play any number of games, you want to get points. But the game also has to be worth playing. Right. Because you know, there are other things to do to make money. There are other things to do... You know, if, if I was kind of unconcerned about the value or ethics of my activities, I have a lot of different things I could think to do that would probably be more profitable for me. But mm -hmm. there are other drawbacks to that. So, and, and I think for most therapists, you know, because this doesn't have to be belabored that much, most therapists aren't generally super money driven. You don't become a mm -hmm. therapist if that's your main goal. Right. And oftentimes therapists will feel guilty in having financial goals. And I think it's very good to have that and, and to look at very practically of how does this, because these things do affect your life. It affects, you know, what your home can be like. It, it can affect what schooling could look like for your kids. It can affect what your vacation or time off looks like. Where you affect, live. 
where yeah. you live. It can affect your charitable giving. It can affect even staying well sheltered and fed, mm -hmm. even to that level. So those are very like practical, tangible sorts of things. It just, I find it's not very fulfilling if that's the only thing you do in the sense of that all you're doing is kind of meeting first level material mm -hmm. needs and then after that material wants like stuff can be fun i know for a lot of for, for people myself included as i even that's tell the the lowest level of maslow's yes, hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, needs yeah. right like your base needs yeah but there's more to life than just your base needs yeah anyway moving into our conversation today sure this is where i'm going to lead because this is this often is james interviewing me about certain experiences in as a therapist and supervisor and having worked in the therapy business. But so but we're going to talk about delegation today and the productivity or lack thereof that happens to it. And specifically, the, what we're going to talk about today could apply to the delegation process, I suppose, for anybody that you would be delegating to, whether it's a business associate or partner or somebody who physically works in your office. We're going to take it through the lens quite a bit of, of virtual assistance. It's something that is part of James's background in, in managing and working in that space. It's something that I'm interested in quite a bit because as, as, this, as of this point of when we're recording, I've worked very minimally with virtual support. I've, I've had one VA who it was a very fruitful relationship, but the nature of this VA was much more like a coach to me in teaching me how to do a lot of things. And it was, the relationship was less focused on the fulfillment of continual tasks and needs. And so that work with that person ended up having a certain season that wrapped up. And that was, I wrapped up with him almost two years ago at the end of, yeah, I wrapped up with him in 2001. And so that, so over a year ago. And again, it was a really good relationship, but I haven't out of VA again. And part of it is, is it taught me enough to know that like, oh, I could really use a VA for this, but I'm not a great delegator. I am. Part of it is, is it takes me a lot of work to sit down to explain some things. And I'm of the sort where I'd rather just do it myself or, or rather is even too strong of a term, but I just end up doing it myself. I also feel bad if I have the sense that I'm not, if people, other people aren't completing tasks I'm asking. I will both become mad at them or at myself, which generally leads me to, to disengage and be avoidant of the thing. And so then it's just easier not to, not to do it. Or, I'm, or I give somebody a task and they do it wrong and I don't want to make them feel bad to say like, well, this is not what I was asking for. And then I have to go back and fix it or explain to them how to fix it. And it's like, well, this would have just been easier if I had done it. So, but I look at that and I look at the nature of my life right now. And I am out of time. Mm. I am out of time. I see clients. I supervise therapists. I have a counseling business I'm the co-owner of that I have certain ongoing roles in. I have a continuing education online course business. And now I'm the executive director of a new nonprofit. Oh, you were talking, sorry. You were talking about that a couple months ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's still okay. it's it's still it's still in the formation process, and I'll probably talk about more in future. But the point is, I don't have time. Yeah, and I one of the things that I need help with right now, 
James and I were talking about this offline, or I want help in, is I want to have be running ads to online courses that I do. Specifically, I've been interested in Google AdWords and YouTube ads. So both same company, it's Alphabet, same company. And I've been interested in, in learning that platform. And so my discussion with my wife about it, I'm like, hey, I think I want to like sign up for a Skillshare course or a Udemy course on how to do Google ads and figure it out myself. And she looked at me, we were driving. <laughs> and I was driving and she turned and looked at me and she was just staring at me. And she goes, why? In the world, do you think that's a good idea? She goes, that will take you so much time. And, wow. and she goes, you just need to bring on somebody to do that. And, she, and there wasn't anything logically in me that disagreed with her. But there's still this hesitancy because of my difficulty in delegation and kind of things like that. So let's walk through this process, James. So I am... I, you, you've met me. I'm, let's say that you're working as a virtual assistant consultant mm -hmm. that, that, and you've met me and I've told you to my best diagnosis, what my problem is. Mm -hmm. How would you help me get better grips with that? What are the steps that you would sure. want to take me through and, and to give to, and how, and to, to give me structure and how I would set up somebody I would bring on as a VA? Yeah. So, so first off, your, your feelings are not, they're normal. They're, they're, they're just normal. I That's a good therapist response too. Like, <laughs> I've worked with therapists yeah, for a your, while. Your so feelings I, are valid and within things. range. You have a valid, you have valid feelings. Yeah. You know, you don't want to waste time. You have trouble being the bad guy. You don't want to, you, you, you get mad. You, the, some of those difficult conversations are hard. Like the thing you missed expectations and then, then you just, you store it up and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll hope it gets better or I'll try to get it better. And then I can do it better myself. And then, then the thing, the thing about you going, signing up for a, a course to try to do it better yourself is also a classic response. I'll just figure it out. I'll do it better. But then you run up against the, the thing, like I'm out of time. I just don't, I just don't have time. And shout out to the, to the wives and the partners who give us wisdom <laughs> We don't, they just, the, the like, what are you, what are you thinking? Yes. Oh, it's, it's classic. I get that. I get that from time to time too. So thank you. Thank you to yeah. our partners for that. So I have something I learned from the run like clockwork books that I used in the virtual assistant company to kind of take out the bad feelings from it and to set up a framework where you don't have to micromanage the virtual assistant is learning and people have a framework of how delegation is done, decisions are made, and then a way to like talk about it when expectations aren't done. Let's talk about how a, a virtual assistant makes a decision. And you can ask me questions as we go on this. So what's and the frame? So give us, give us a high level of the framework first. What's, what are the, the steps the, of the framework and take us through each step? Yeah. Okay. So the decision-making framework is just three things. To make a decision, everyone needs permission. Like they, ha it has to be within their role to make that decision. Two, they have to have the right information to make a correct decision. You have to have the right information to make that decision. And then three, the the third thing that kind of trips up people when they're making a decision is they don't have the confidence to make that decision. So, so, so as a as a contractor or or somebody mm -hmm. who who is contracting a person for this. 
one of the key things that I need to be thinking of and go, well, going into that work relationship is how am I thinking through and giving them, you know, permission, mm -hmm. information mm -hmm. at the second and yeah. confidence. Confidence. Yeah. Okay. Right. And when, when people have all three of those things, the decisions are easier. What happens if you're missing the permission to make a decision or you're making information is often where there's a lot of, a lot of pitfalls. When, when you don't have that, you get stuck or you don't make the decision. And then you go to the, the therapist or the manager and you ask them to solve the problem for you. And then, then it becomes the, the like, oh, I should have done this myself type of thing, or it's taking too long for the, for the virtual assistant. So permission, so permission rely, relates to, you know, is it in my job and cannot do I, are the doors unlocked for me to make this decision? So for example, if you're having somebody schedule, schedule in your, in your practice, permission would be, you set up the boundaries. I take people from this time to this time. These are who I see these. I see this insurance. It's like unlocking all the doors for them to make a decision on who you see. So if you tell them, I see children up to 18 and somebody is like 17 and a half and they're going to have one session with you before they turn 18, mm -hmm. how do they make that decision? You know, do they have permission to do that? And they, it also could be confidence because they're, they're not a hundred percent sure if they can make the right decision because in the past, maybe you've done it. And then another time you've changed your mind. So the, the permission aspect is something that they have to sometimes keep updating. The other thing with permission, it, it could just be passwords. You know, do they have the right passwords to make it? Do they have the right tools and technology the, to make that decision? But it has to be within their role. And if they're asked to make a decision outside their role, outside of their boundaries, it, it gets difficult for them. Mm. So what are the practical ways that you give those things? And so when you're onboarding yeah. somebody, what are the ways that I can do this well? And I guess to, to maybe prompt, like in the sense of should I be thinking even writing down in the process, like what are the things that I want this person to be doing and how do they access that? How do they have, you know, and how do I verbalize that in such a way? So for example, you, you talked about the, the scheduling mm -hmm. and, you know, I say, I see 18 and up and this person it's on the line. And so I want them what, what I would want in that situation is somebody who'd be willing to take a certain amount of initiative to to make yes. that decision. So and... the the key point to all three of these missing things, if if the virtual assistant is missing either permission, information, or confidence, mm -hmm. they attempt to find the information on their own. Or first they recognize I can't make this decision. <laughs> That's the first thing. They 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 recognize I don't I either don't have the ability to do it, the confidence or the information to make a correct decision. Then they, they ask themselves, why not? And if they ask themselves, so this is what the, the, this is what the therapist is helping them learn themselves. They're le helping them learn this process. Do I have enough information to do? Do I have, do I have the information permission or confidence to do this? If not, why not? 
And in that why not, they might answer the question themselves and you will never get you will never get the question because they can say, oh, David made a David sent me an email. I just have to go back to that email and read what he said about it. If they can't find the information themselves, then they connect with the manager and say, and they use the framework. I don't have permission to make this decision because you told me you only see 18 year olds or, you know, 18 and above and they're about to, or 18 and below and they're about to change. I either don't have enough information to make this decision, permission or confidence. And they tell you what it is. And then the key critical part for, for learning and growing is I think from what I know about you, you would see them for six months or something. Is it okay to schedule? So the key to this whole framework is they give you the solution that they think you would. So you're helping them think through the process and give you a solution. And what happens there is either you're going to say, yes, do it, or you're going to tell them how to do it. And now they have learned how to do it next time. It's like a learning process and they're not going to come back with the same, unless you tell them, hey, this was a one-time thing, come back with a different decision. But now they they built their own confidence in how to do it. So the key thing for, for any of these things, when anything is missing, is the follow-up process. Don't just make them come back to you for everything. Oh my word, what a what a nightmare that would be, right? So, but to to the point, you're you're talking about what the VA needs to do. Yeah. As the well, therapist. How do I do, how do I instill that in them? Is it simply saying like, I want yeah, you to hold them accountable. Like this is the framework I'm going to use for decision-making. I've given you the instructions. I've given you your role. We've had trainings. Hopefully you've taken notes, you know, and when, when you can't make a decision, you need to use this framework. You have to tell me what you're missing because there's a, yeah. according to this framework, there's three reasons why. So, yeah. So this is an ongoing framework that basically the VA is using or ever assisting you is using in their decision-making process, which the framework is yeah. like, do I have permission to do this thing? Do yeah. I have the information, information to execute it? And do I feel confident in my ability to do it? And that if I, and so basically this is something if I'm contracting with somebody new, hiring somebody new, this is a framework I, I walk them through first thing. I go, this is for every, and here's your, here's your responsibility in this role depending mm -hmm. on where you get stuck. Because basically, if a task is not completed, it is because something is stuck in one of these three areas. Mm -hmm. and it's your job to figure out where you're stuck, to come and get whatever you need from me, whether permission, more information, and let that, and then let that to be normative data in going forward. Unless yeah. I say otherwise, like I say, like, hey, the normative data in this is I'll see a 17 and three quarters year old in this idea that most of when I'm going to see them is going to be over 18. Or I'll see them because they're senior in high school. Yeah. And, and that feels different for me, or I'll see them because they're a college student, even though they're under 18 or whatever. Yeah. And, but I want to make this exception. So it's my responsibility to, to say like when a rule or when a, a, a construct or an idea should be generalized versus specific. Like this is, hey, I appreciate you asking me this. In this case, this is the answer. But if this comes up again, I need you to ask me again because it may be different. Yeah. And, so that's and the responsibility of, of the therapist. Yeah, the, the therapist has to follow the framework and hold the 
the assistant um, accountable. Otherwise, the if you don't make it simple, you're going to get hung up in a lot of different like if then what decisions. And if you can keep it to simply, you know, information, permission, confidence, then then they know how to talk to you about it. Like mm-hmm. virtual assistants don't all, don't like to tell their manager boss that they don't know how to do something either. But this mm-hmm. makes it safe for them to like engage you in the process. And also a lot of times these, these if they've been working with you f- for any length of time, they, they kind of know how you make decisions mm-hmm. and they kind of know your process and what they're going to suggest is going to be just as good or even better than the decision you make mm-hmm. yourself. They're the professional at their job. So that that kind of like giving them the ability to share their answers and what they do builds their confidence, builds their capacity. It also takes the decision making off your plate. Like, man, how many decisions in a day can you make? I think Steve Jobs wore the same outfit every day because he didn't didn't want to think about what, what he was going to wear. Yeah. I like what I wear. I like how it fits. I like how it looks. I'm going to buy 50 of these and <laughs> not make another decision about what I wear again. Mm. And and. And the virtual assistant, if they give you the answer, often it's going to be a good answer. Like often it's like, oh, I think you should do this. And you're going to be like, great. Oh, that's one less decision I have to make. Hang on permission still for another second. Sure. What are some practical means of permission? Because one of the things that comes to mind when you say permission is even access, like physical access to Mm -hmm. accounts and things like that. And you and I have talked offline about this and, you know, one of the things you've talked about using historically is something like LastPass, right? Which is for those who aren't familiar, it's a, it's a password encryption program. You'll have it on your phone. I have a version of it, but you know we live with so many different passwords and things like that. So that would be a practical tool, just in in setting up a LastPass account with a VA, giving them access to things. Yeah, and and another thing with permissions is I. I I don't know, this is a slight, slight tangent, is, is I had some offices who didn't want to make extra like accounts for people, Google phones and stuff, and it made their job really hard mm. when they tried to like, you know, save $6 a month on creating a Google account and $10 a month on a phone account. Mm-hmm. The, 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 uh, the therapist kept getting all the, the emails and the messages even though they had a virtual assistant in it, it the, the, there are reasons to have extra yeah, accounts for people and just set up the password managers. I the principle would, of being penny wise and dollar fool. Oh, man. And oh. I, I've seen that. I was talking with somebody about that yesterday and they were a little confused. They're like, well, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you can, you can save money on this thing in this moment, but it will create more headache or even cost for you later because there were were people that hired us 20 plus hours a week to do insurance things that they would have saved 10 10 plus hours if they just would have turned on the whatever was in the ehr like Mm -hmm. they were they were saving a hundred dollars and spending 300 or a thousand dollars it was like okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyways pound foolish i guess yeah that's anything more on permission? No, I think I think having clear boundaries and then a way to to come to you when 
things go outside the boundaries are is key. And and not to make anybody feel bad. Like don't make them feel bad that they're coming to you and you don't feel bad that they didn't know. It's just your this is how we figure out the the rules, the permissions. The next one's information. You ready to go to that one? Yeah. So information is it's a funny one because the the classic example is David, if you told me to order pens, could I successfully do that if you sent me an email, James, order me pens? If you knew the sorts of pens I liked. Yeah. Oh, what do you like the, the the gel pens? I like gel pens. I use the main pens I use. It's the tool brand and they're gel. Yep. And I'd use blue, which is less important now, but I've been in the habit of always using blue because when I worked in a psych state hospital, everything had to be in blue because they, they wanted, yes, because they wanted to be able to, to distinguish the difference between an original and a photocopy. Oh, that's interesting. I worked where I worked in the, the, the mental health hospital. They wanted everything to be in black. So it looked I, the same. Yeah. I think, I think it was a, I don't, I don't remember why, but I like it, it, everything was in black. All the pens were black and we threw away all the other pens that made its way into the. the yeah. There'll be rules for things. And I, I've seen organizations that you know, they want everything to look the same. That's why everything's in black pen. So, but... so just imagine if you told me to order pens and my, my yeah. history is black. And I ordered you 50 blue. black pens mm -hmm. for your, all your therapists and you wanted blue. Like yeah. I did not have the right information. So I could definitely not. Well, pens also task. a different sort of thing too. Of I don't like cheap pens. I get it's, it's when you get Correct. swag bags, you yes. go to conferences and get like, I hate cheap pens because yes. it's just, it's up taking up space and I never use them. And so th <laughs> there's certain things. That like, it like, just don't buy me pens. Like, don't, if you're going to only spend, if you're going to get the cheapest pen possible, just don't buy pens. Just don't do I, it. I yeah. Don't want your, I don't want your nasty pens. And, but I'm generally a fairly frugal person when it comes to many things. And so if you took on different information and be like, well, David typically likes to get a bargain and these pens are, you know, we can get 500 for $3. That's a bargain. They're only, you know, the ink's made with asbestos. But uh, so funny, yeah. but you're so, touching on you, yeah. like you get it. Like when you're getting, when you use this example, you're getting it because if you didn't tell me how, what color, how many, the price, oh, look for a bargain. It's going to be for everybody. Do you want branding on it or not? Like, when do you want them? But if I didn't have that information, I could just go with my gut and, and with, with, there's like 10 data points there. I would have no idea if I was making a good decision. Yeah. But it goes back to this. So the solution to that is having just very clear instructions. And then a way for the, the virtual assistant, just like the permission to go back and say, Hey, I didn't know if you wanted blue or black. I think you use black. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say, because I think everybody uses black. I think you use black. Would you like me to order? And then they, they spell out the details. And then you would say, oh, no, 50 pens is fine, but I would like blue pens. And I think their price should be a dollar a pen or whatever. I don't know what pens cost. Uh, mm -hmm. And you, then you give them the information. And yeah. so just having that framework for them to give you the possible solution and you to confirm it when they're missing information 
that also removes the bad feelings. Like I know you, you mentioned it in the beginning and it's so true. Like you feel bad about correcting them and they feel bad about being, you know, I'm a bad virtual assistant because I don't know the information, but it, it's really just this clarity of what the task is and how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So permission, doing per, or doing information, well, goes back to the permission process. If there's lack of information, then you, if you have good permission in place, they will ask for clarifying information. And it, and it's and with the solution. Never let them say, what do you want me to do with this without providing a solution? Because you're training them to think like you. You're, you're training them to come up with a solution. So, so you, you don't, don't so you to... don't want you don't want to give them the solution is what you're saying. Well, you you want you, to invite them to come up to, with the solution. Yes, invite them to come up with the solution if they if they have misinformation or they're wrong, it's not bad that they're wrong, then you have a chance to instruct them on what you want to do. And over time they're going to learn what you want them to do. So Well, it, but it, in, in going to this as well, one of the things you talk about and as you create things in your work, James, is creating SOPs, mm -hmm. standard operating procedures. Sure. And if you are a more detail-oriented person, thinking about ways to do that can be good. Like I know for a lot of people, they'll do things like Loom videos or yes. like, because in the idea like, hey, I'm going to do this task on my computer and share my screen. I'm going to create this Loom video. And then this becomes part of the archive that a virtual mm -hmm. assistant has access to. But the idea of do it once and the idea of being able to repurpose it later, or if you're not that sort of person, but you're just kind of walking through this process with a VA for the first time, to have them write their own standard operating procedure yeah. in this idea like, okay, here's the standard operating procedure for ordering pins. The standard is, these are how many type and all that of pins to order. And the reason, and, and they may say, if, if you ask them to do that, but hey, as you're ordering pins, if you would write down in this shared Google Doc or whatever, however you do that, of, you know, pin ordering protocol or just to create a document that says office ordering protocol and write something on there about pins. And they may say, well, I know what it is now. And you say, yes, but. This may not be your job in the future. It may be somebody else's job. Oh, that is critical. Yeah. Because yeah. the information is contained in the person. Yeah. And you can and, get off the person. Yeah. And so there may be some extra time that you're paying for early on. But the benefit is that if you, if let's say this person works out great and you end up giving them higher level tasks mm -hmm. and somebody else needs to step into this or this person moves on or this person isn't a good fit. At the very least, you have the benefit of having a standard operating procedure on. Yeah, I think that. that's critical. That that database there is is really critical. We we had a we had a Google Doc, and if it was a written documentation, the the Google the or the Google Sheets had a link to the Google Doc. If it was a video, it had a link to the Loom or the video that we saved. If the if it changed, then the person who noticed the change would would make the correction, they would re-update the document, you know, and then note that they made an update on our Google Doc. I will see, I might not have that document anymore. I'll see if I can recreate that mm -hmm. as an example for the show notes mm -hmm. of, uh, of SOP. We haven't gotten the delegation yet, but the last thing is confidence. A lot of times, some of this is new. A lot of the times, 
you know, they're, you're going to be asking them to do something new for the first time. So they're going to lack a little bit of confidence. So give them a way, just like the other two, give them a way to say, I think this is what I should do, but I've never done this before. And I just want your, your eyeballs on this to make sure that I'm making the right decision. Just give them a way to, to confirm with you that they're doing the right thing. Those, you know, as they, as they do the same role for, you know, weeks and months, those should go down unless you keep raising their responsibility, Mm -hmm. but just give them a way to say, I think I should do it this way, but I'm lacking the confidence. Give them the verbiage to the, and permission to be able to be a little bit of vulnerable. Like nobody wants to feel vulnerable, right? Like nobody wants to feel like, oh, I can't do this. Or I've been a virtual assistant for five years, 10 years. And then to have the, have the therapist say, aren't you a good virtual assistant? Don't you know these things? Don't you know how to do my systems? By the way, that those are real conversations we've yeah, had. Yeah, because it's the, at this point, I'm not going to say the name of the, the EHR I use because I really dislike them as a company. And I just feel <laughs> like I'm being held hostage by them. But I use an EHR. And I had to, I, I've had to learn where things are in it. And when we make just a new hire for a therapist, ones that have either worked in a different system before, they've got to learn the system. Oh, and yes. Were they a therapist before? Yes. But are they in a new system? Are they in a new playground? Yes. And there are any number of things that we just do because we know them. And, and, and as a, as creatures, generally therapists are really inclined towards this. They like every once in a while, I've had some therapist friends that are early adopters. I, I think of one of my close friends, he had an iPhone before anybody else did. I knew like he had one of the like, but he, he, his early adoption of technology means he often ends up in really buggy technology because, you know, stuff doesn't work as well, but he loves, he's very much this classic early adopter, but he's rare. Most therapists I know run fairly conservative in the systems and processes Mm -hmm. that they use. Mm -hmm. And, but because of that, we also end up being fairly competent in whatever that system is, even if it's not a great system or not a very efficient one, we understand at least how that system works pretty well. And when you bring in someone new and they may be, if they've not worked for a therapist before, they may be learning a whole nother set of things of, mm-hmm. of language and lingo and things like that. But acronyms. Um, yeah, acronyms like, and, and I forget what acronyms mean. It, like I, I know what they mean in the sense of like, I know this acronym applies to this concept, but if you ask me like, what does each letter stand for? There's so many of them. Like, like I can guess like KCREP is one. That's, that's the main I counselor credit. It stands for like counselor, the, the, the counselor accreditation region. I don't know. Yeah. There's like, a lot of acronyms. It, it is accurate. And so, and the, anyway, but going back to, so the, going to review, because information becomes more solidified on repetition. Mm-hmm. There's the three pieces. There's, so the decision-making framework. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of a v, that, that you want to be joined with whoever's working with you. And one is permission. Mm-hmm. Am I giving them permission or are they asking for permission? If they don't know if they have permission, how do they inquire in a way that leads to new competency? Mm-hmm. The goal is not that they ask you every time this problem comes up, mm-hmm. that in the process of asking whatever it is, that they develop a new competency to know that they have permission or how to access permission to this thing and that it, it becomes less overall. Mm-hmm. So then there's, there's that. The information, 
which is, do they have enough information to execute this task? So, so to say like, correct, you know, going, ba going yeah. back to my thing, I'm wanting Google ads for me to say to somebody like, Hey, I want you to do Google ads. I know enough about ads to say like, okay, to what, to what end? Right. If you do online paid advertising, is it an awareness campaign? Is it a camp? Is it a campaign to create opt-ins? Is it a, a campaign uh -huh. to create sales? Because those are different in, you know, I, I know just enough to know that you, you create those differently. So what am I trying to get them to do? And I can't say like, well, I want you to make Google AdWords for my, for my course business. Which courses, what's the action do we want them to take? What is the, you know, the, what's the nurture sequence? What's the, what, what are the keywords that they're going to be looking for? Who's their demographic? All the sorts of things. Now, I may not know all these, like if I'm coming in as an office, I may not know these questions, but part of the permission early on is to tell them, Hey, I've never done this before. I don't know everything you need. So I need you to help me understand what are the yeah. things you need so I can give you those, those things for information. And so you mm -hmm. give them permission to ask. Mm -hmm. And then in the, the last bit of confidence, confidence. Yeah. And I guess confidence works both ways of that. Like as a therapist, do I feel confident in handing this over mm -hmm. and do you feel confident in executing? And how do we navigate where confidence may be lacking? How do we go back to the permission and information point to increase the confidence? And it does involve risk because for me, there's a certain amount of fear of like, well, what if this happens and it goes wrong mm -hmm. and I can't fix it or I can't, or I, I feel, but you have to, the, the solution is, is, you know, I often joke, there's a, there's a really dumb movie from the nineties that is both dumb and brilliant. And the nineties had a lot of those, but it's movies called multiplicity. It's with Michael Keaton and yes. Andy McDowell. But the, the premise of the movie is, is he clones himself. But all these clones manifest different aspects of his personality. And then later they end up doing clones of clones. And that ends up kind of degrading the, the quality of the specimen. And, but the goal is in Michael Keaton in this is he feels overwhelmed and all these different things in his life. So it would be great for him to just clone himself. And I think that constantly what I want is, is to clone myself. I don't really, I don't want to deal with the moral and practical implications of, of another one of me that I'm basically treating as a, an automaton but of some sort. You want your values and I you want, want my value, but I want my skill set. I want my knowledge. I want, <laughs> Oh, good, good luck, man. Yes. But, it, but so then it becomes, since that's not possible and or moral in that way, being able to embrace different levels of admin support, virtual support is how do I take at least a piece of this? And even be open to the fact that this other person may do it well. Mm. Going back to one of the reasons I didn't make the, I've, I've so far not made the decision to do an AdWords course. And I, I always want to hedge that because who knows what I, if I might do it in the future, is that one is the factor I already mentioned was my time, is that I don't really feel I have the time to do it. But the other is, even if I had the time, would I be as good as somebody else that I could hire? Because the ideal in hiring anybody for so many different things isn't just what do you not have time to do, but who might actually do this better? Who might be a more, I'm not a very yeah. naturally organized person. I'm not yeah. a very, there are lots of things that, so it's, it's humility to even say like, I'm, there may be people out there that do this better than me. Mm -hmm. And how do I 
find them and line up with them in such a way to, to make that happen. And they might even like it. <laughs> like a lot They're, of the things, yeah. like I can do them, but I, or do I like doing it? Like that, like when those align, they have the skills and they like doing it. Mm -hmm. Like my wife likes data entry. Like that gags me. Like I hate data entry, but she's like, oh, I feel accomplished and I can type things out and like I help people. And I'm like, you find data? effective partnerships for any number of things. If you work in a therapy practice that <laughs> exists because there's certain clients that you'll love or certain client yeah. situations and there are other ones other yeah. people don't. And embracing the difference is part of the humility. So to close up this idea of delegating, here are my lessons I've learned from this, James, and you can add to whatever okay. it is. Some of it is, is, is delegation does get easier if I have a decision-making framework mm -hmm. that I am universally applying to myself and whoever I'm bringing in. Here's the framework. How do I keep on going back to that reinforcing it? That can mm -hmm. help me feel more confident in the process of like, okay, I'm, I'm not just giving up this thing to the ether, but here's the, you know, here's that. I think there's the holding myself accountable to measurables. A lot of people I know that for them, they'll set like a weekly time with their VA. I've done that historically, but then to have this list of like, okay, what are, what have been the tasks? What's been completed? What, you know, what hasn't been completed? What was the expectation? And to, to have it connected with the structure moving forward. Because I, I know somebody who hired somebody who to clean their house and this person cleaned their house for years, but started doing like a, a, a poorer and poorer job in it. And there were some personal reasons for it, but some of it was, is that my friend wasn't very good at holding this person accountable and didn't want to, you know, fire them. And so they ended up hiring a second person to clean their house another day of the week. And so they had two people come clean their house. <laughs> One did the bad job and then another person came right. in and did like the, the better job to clean up over. And I, 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 my challenge to my friend is what happens if the second person ends up sliding? Are you going to have to hire a third person to come in after the end? And, but it came down to, there was a sense of, and it wasn't all misplaced. There was a sense of loyalty and a sense of like, and, and I wouldn't even say that's a bad thing, but I do know that I do not want to get in that situation for when I'm trying to find support, because I will personally, I will become resentful and avoidant. Yes. Which I, I have the delegation framework, but I'm running out of time. So I think we should probably hit the delegation framework. It's a companion to the decision-making framework. Let's do that as another episode. That hits that, that, that like the numbers and the metrics, like, just what you said, that is the key component of the of the delegation framework. So let's talk about that next time. Okay. Are well, we, since I did this, this is this is any any what's your one thing, James? My one thing, you know, it's it's hard when you're like the it, the person being interviewed to think of your one thing because I just think about what I think next. I think I like what you said all the way back in the beginning about like you, 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 you ran, you started running out of time. Like time is, is a constraint that we all have. And no matter how good you are or how much you do, you are going to run out of time eventually. And so the way to scale, the way to grow, or the way to just feel like you're, you can manage things better is to, 
to learn some delegation skills, learn to offload, and also maybe listen to your wife or significant other when they give you wisdom about how how stretched you are. That that might be the tip of the 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 year. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's my one thing. Yeah, I'm my, my one thing is just the idea that you you find an agreed upon framework, and there's the one that we've walked through, but other frameworks could apply to. But it's agreed upon framework of both myself and the person in the task. And so we have a a shared point of reference that we're coming back yes. to. Of versus. We have, if we're working from different points of reference, it's really hard to to measure, is this working? Mm -hmm. And, you know, start before anything of what's the agreed same point of reference that everything's going to be assessed and measured and corrected. So that is one thing. Yeah. So I'll send us off. So we will be in our next conversation. We're going to talk about James's framework for delegation. This has been the framework, I guess, for like how to, well, this framework decision is decision-making decision in that, but then how do you, how do you think of delegation? And so that will be an interesting conversation, but until next time, this has been Dr. David Hall with James Marlin of the scaling therapy practice podcast. Thanks for being with us. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Psych Maven is proud to support the scaling therapy practice podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.